Hello, everybody. My name is Nkozi, and this is the Two Sides of a Coin podcast. On this episode, we're going to talk about not one, but two movies this week. First movie I'm going to talk about is the latest in the DC franchise, which is Shazam! Fury of the Gods, and I'm going to give you my non-spoiler review. Second movie I'm going to talk about is one that's on Netflix, and it is the movie about a very famous British police officer that is not connected to Sherlock Holmes, and that is Luther, the Fallen Son. So, let's just jump right into it. So, this week, I saw Shazam! Fury of the Gods. Now, for those of you who know Shazam, it is the sequel to the 2019 movie that, of course, had the name Shazam. And this, of course, is about the main character, Billy Batson, who is a teenager who gains the powers of Shazam. And funny thing about Shazam is in the first movie, they established that Shazam is both an acronym And also a person, mostly the person Shazam they call the wizard, which is played by Jaiman Hansu. And Shazam as an acronym, you know, stands for the wisdom of Solomon, the strength of Hercules, the stamina of Atlas, the power of Zeus, the courage of Achilles, and the speed of Mercury. And the funny thing is, they make sure that you know In the second movie, that's what Shazam stands for because they really didn't do a great job explaining it in the first movie. So in the second, they do have a scene where they explain it just in case you did not know that information. So I saw this movie and I actually liked the 2019 version. I thought it was and still is one of the better DC movies out there. And the reason I think it's one of the better DC movies out there is simple. It knew what it was, and the story flowed very well. It was a story about, you know, found family. It's also a story about a young superhero that doesn't necessarily look young. He looks a lot older than he really is. And him finding the courage and being pure of heart in order to go on and be this big-time superhero. Now, what I also liked about Shazam is that it carved out its own niche of this family-friendly movie. Not necessarily adult, but much more kid-friendly and much more accessible to younger ages. The story wasn't necessarily all sunshine and rainbows. It did have its dark moments, the first movie. But I felt overall it was a solid try at a family-friendly movie. So I'm going into Shazam! Fury of the Gods really trying to not get my hopes up. My entire philosophy whenever I look at movies is I'm trying to walk into that movie without high expectations simply because I feel like high expectations can kill the movie going experience. I go in there looking for a solid movie 
And if I get better than that, great. If I don't, then obviously that's not good. So I go into Shazam and just quick summary of what I thought was it had more fun in this movie than the second one, more product placement in this movie, uh, way more product placement in Shazam Fury of the Gods. Um, it's still anchored by its core, the fun, action, comedy, the references, all of that. There is a vein in here, though, that I do think we need to talk about, and that is around weird issues with age and age appropriateness, as well as the villains in this movie aren't that great. So let's get into it without spoiling anything about the uh, movie as a whole. So we start out the movie Shazam, and this is all information you find out in the first couple minutes, is that it takes place a couple years after the end of the original Shazam movie. And if you remember, at the end of Shazam, Billy Batson shared his powers with the rest of his foster family outside of his foster mom and dad. So they all became Shazam. And this movie does not overwrite that. It leans right into it. You can see that in the trailers. All of the people who had their powers as Shazam still have their powers as Shazam. So we go into that and it's about more Billy trying to keep the family together through all of this change that they've gone through. Through growing older, through their priorities changing and all of that. Billy is trying so hard to hold on to his family. Introduced into this element is a new group of enemies which are called the daughters of atlas which are played of course by lucy Liu and the amazing helen mirren so an important thing to note about these guys and if you've been in a movie theater where you watch the newbie they say this time and time again which is the Daughters of Atlas are new villains. These are not villains that are from the comic books, like in most comic book movies. These guys are completely new. This storyline is completely new, which I really like, simply because you don't know where the storyline is essentially going to go. I had no expectations for these villains going into the movie, so... However they were written, that's how they're supposed to be. And I love that from a story perspective. I think that's a great mark on DC that they felt, hey, we can make brand new villains. We don't need to try something old. We can inject new stuff, new life into this established property. And I really appreciate that. I think that's something that, whether you're DC or Marvel, that you could learn from. You can still inject newness into this world of comic books. So, that being said, obviously, the movie quickly 
veers off from its beginning where it's about Billy and keeping the family together and all that to dealing with the threat from these two characters who are called the Daughters of Atlas, who are gods. That's why you get the tagline in the movie, Fury of the Gods. And the rest of the movie is there to deal with just those two. Now, we get a couple of different characters. We get, of course, another new character whose name is uh, Anthea, played by Rachel Zegler. Everybody else from the first movie in terms of the hero cast comes back. So, of course, you have Zachary Levi Shazam. You have Asher Angel, who plays uh, Billy Batson. You know, you have Jack Dylan Grazer, who plays Freddie Freeman. You know, you have all the hero forms coming back. So, you know, Adam Brody, Ross Butler, DJ Cortna, you know, uh, Megan Good. Funny enough, the only person that plays themselves in terms of who they are in regular life and who they are in terms of superhero is uh, Grace Carolyn Curry. She plays the superhero version of her and her regular version, which, you know, is always pretty fun. And, of course, Jaiman Hansu comes back as the wizard. And they definitely shortened his name since he is Shazam. They simply call him the wizard because there's way too many people shouting Shazam and they don't want to say his name and have to have somebody transform back and forth. Now, with this movie, let's let's get into the good things I liked. Number one thing I liked is that the humor was on point in this movie. It stayed true to its roots and it did not deviate from that. Whenever Shazam is on the screen. Zachary Levi, of course, brings a lot of energy. He's acting a lot like what a kid you might think would act. So he has a lot of references. He makes a lot of funny jokes. And pretty much the entire cast keeps it at a mostly light level. There are only a few moments where it gets really heavy. This movie, I think, whenever you're laughing, it's succeeding. And there were some very good laughs to be found in this movie. Another thing is the speed the movie worked at. The cinematography was good. So was a lot of the CGI. This had a lot of CGI elements that I think really worked and helped the fantastical elements of this movie the fight scenes were always really solid i didn't feel like oh well that's just not believable and another thing i will give about these fight scenes that they got away from from the original uh dc slate is that you can see every fight that's happening nobody is obscured in shadow where you can barely see what's happening on the screen everything is bright you know who is doing what when where and why so i really appreciate the fact that they thought about hey you want to see the action not just get an allusion to the action 
and that's something that Shazam, even from the first movie, has always done well. Another thing I like is brought up Zachary Levi as Shazam. The rest of the cast, you know, uh, all the adults I thought in this movie really hit the spot. And for the most part, I thought the kids hit the spot as well. There is some very funny moments with the children in this movie that had the entire theater just in absolute stitches. The guy next to me was just, he almost fell out of his chair because he was laughing that hard. I mean, it was funny. I didn't think it was that funny, but he enjoyed himself. And I, I really appreciate that when people can really enjoy themselves in movies. And there are some really funny moments in this movie that can definitely make you laugh or at the very least make you give a hearty chuckle. So to be clear, I liked this movie. I do need to now talk about the things that I found really weird about this movie and the things that I didn't like. Um, Number one, As I said early on with Helen Mirren and Lucy Liu, these are the daughters of Atlas. They are the villains in this movie, and they are not a part of the Shazam uh, franchise. And honestly, it was shown because their entire plot line was super empty. It just, you felt no connection to their plight. This movie tried very hard to make you understand and to see from their point of view. And for a decent part, you could until you couldn't. And then it just didn't make any sense. It didn't help anybody. It was it was just you. I was happy the movie moved so fast because if it would have stayed on the villains, even a little bit more outside of action, this movie would have fallen apart at the very seams and I would have been bored out of my mind. So that's the villain motivation was completely all over the place and it was very, very dumb. Obvious moments are obvious. They're not trying to hide anything. So none of it felt like it was a surprise and it just took the wind out of my sails when they were on the screen instead of them being on the screen with the heroes and to be clear Helen Mirren and Lucy Liu are good actresses this was just a failure of the script so talking about good actors I talked about you know Billy Batson Asher Angel and I'm I'm just gonna be honest I don't know who he hurt at DC I don't know who he said the wrong thing to. This dude is barely in the movie. In the first Shazam, Asher Angel and Zachary Levi had at least like a 60-40 split or a 70-30. This one, it's like 85-15 the other way. You barely see Asher Angel in this movie I'm pretty sure of the runtime, he only took up maybe 10 minutes total of the entire movie. He was not in there for a very long time. 
Zachary Levi is the one that's on camera for most of this. And I, I don't know. Maybe he was filming something else. Maybe he just maybe the story just revolved around Zachary Levi and they just said more Zachary Levi, more Zachary Levi, which I kind of thought was a little sad because I actually liked when Billy Batson was on the screen. And it was funny how when Billy Batson was on the screen, he seemed more like the adult than Zachary Levi. Whenever he was on screen, it was less like, oh, I'm a kid. I get to make all these funny references and instead it was hey let's let's talk about something actually kind of serious let's let's get into something that might make you cry a little bit and i i'm happy about the emotional range that he got to show i'm, I'm just a little sad at the fact that he got such little screen time it is night and day from the first shazam another thing that i uh that I didn't like is the product placement. There is some of the most obvious product placement in this movie that I'm not going to say it was terrible. It was just so obvious that at one point you see this product and they allude to it early on and you say, okay, that makes sense. Then they keep bringing it up. This product comes up like nine, ten times. It is at the level of in the Mark Wahlberg Transformers movie where Mark Wahlberg runs into a Budweiser truck and he's got some Budweiser on the ground and he cracks open the Budweiser and he drinks the Budweiser and he says, what's up to a pedestrian? And the pedestrian is like, oh, okay. It's at that level. It is so bad. They literally say the catchphrase for the product in the movie. And that is treated as a big dramatic moment. When you see it, you will know it. And you'll just say, wow. So, hey, to that product out there, I'm not going to say what it is. Because that would be a big spoiler in the movie. And it acts as a big plot point in the movie. I'm going to say, whatever you paid to get that, that is a good job on your part. Everybody's going to walk out of that theater remembering your product. So whoever was in charge of that, good, good on you. Good on you. Honestly, that was smart. I didn't like it, but it was very, very smart. I, I don't hate the player. I just hate the game in this instance. And my final thing that I really didn't like, and this is kind of a long bit, and that is DC has a weird thing around age appropriateness and consent in relationships. I'm not, I'm not trying to make a big deal out of it, but it is. And here's, here's what I mean. When we go back a movie to let's say Wonder Woman 1984 one of the themes in that movie was how weird the relationship between you know Wonder Woman and Chris Pine's character was and it wasn't weird because Chris Pine was dead in the first movie spoilers for Wonder Woman 1984 let's just go there 
The thing that was weird in Wonder Woman 1984 was that the way they introduced Chris Pine's character, they made him possess another person. So anytime Wonder Woman did anything with Chris Pine, she was actually doing it to this other person's body, which brought up some interesting conversations around, hey, this is some weird consent stuff that was unnecessary. You didn't need to do this. You could have just brought him back to life and it would have been perfectly fine and nobody would even think about it. Instead, you went this route and it became really weird. Not weird enough to make the movie bad. Wonder Woman 1984 had more problems than that. So I would have thought they would have been extra careful to not do that again. And good news is they do not do that again. Bad news is they do something just as weird. Just as weird. And honestly, it makes no sense why they did it. The weird thing happens with one of the new characters that are introduced in this movie. Anthea. And my problem is they know it's weird. They mention it in the movie that this is weird. This is not really appropriate. They they quite literally say this is not appropriate. They say that in the movie. And yet they do it anyways. At the end they just kind of talk about they kind they try and make jokes about it just to blow past it. It's still weird. It's it's not necessarily good even if you make a joke about it if it's still inherently weird. And I I don't want to spoil it because it's actually a spoiler in the movie. You will know it when you see it. However, they stop the movie and they talk about it for like a hot 15 seconds. So you will know it when you see it. I just, I, this is a new character. My issue isn't that they did it, or it's not only that they did it. It's that they didn't need to. You could have written this story. This is a new character. This is not something that is a holdover from the comics. You did not need to go down this route and you went down it anyways. What is up? with DC in regards to these weird consent issues to age appropriateness. Why is it so hard for DC to write an actual love interest that cares about somebody who is their age or isn't being possessed or doesn't have some weird issue where, hey, if this were real life, this wouldn't be cool. Why is it so hard? I don't know. Obviously it is for them. And maybe that's the reason why they got James Gunn. Because they know that James Gunn will at least be able to make sure that in his movies, when Star-Lord and Gamora gets together, it makes sense. Because they're around the same age. Is, is that, I, I know I'm ranting here. It just doesn't make any sense. You did not need to do the thing you did 
you had a brand new character, you could have written it way differently, because I don't want to spoil the movie, and you went down that tract anyways with Anthea, and you made it weird. You just made it weird, and I'm, I'm starting to get frustrated, so I'm going to pull it back, and I'm just going to finish up my review with this. This movie is fun. I think there are going to be some funny moments in this movie. I think the action set pieces are really cool. I like the fact that they also gave uh, Jaiman Hansu's character, they gave him more to do. So they allowed him to be more comedic than he is because Jaiman Hansu is actually pretty funny. If you've seen him in any comedy that he's been in, he can he can be hilarious. So... And they also, at the end of it, they changed up his look. That's not really a big spoiler. So I'm happy that they did because it was getting real tired with the whole dreadlocks. That's neither here nor there. If I had to rate this 1 out of 10, I would give it an 8. If you did not do the weird consent issues, this could have been a potential 9. But you did. And it was... I want to love your movies, DC. I, I want to love them unabashedly without any kinds of reservations. When you do weird stuff, when you introduce ideas that to the general public you then have to justify in your movies and say, yeah, this is a little weird, and then you do it anyways, it doesn't make sense. It just it doesn't make sense. So I, I still say you should go see the movie. It's not bad. It's just going to be frustrating if you think about it even a little bit. Like, I, I don't even have a problem with the ending of the movie, which has some weird moments, kind of devalues uh, certain things. I don't have any problems with that because the consent thing just looms over it like a dark cloud more than any of the other problems all those other problems are a little bit of stormy weather and this is like a hurricane coming on the horizon that's just gonna buffet you with this is weird this is weird this is weird so as i said you should i think you should go see shazam fury of the gods i think you will enjoy it especially if you love product placements I don't think you'll enjoy that part, the weird consent stuff. If you can ignore that, if you can ignore the villain's plot, if you can ignore how hyped up on sugar Zachary Levi can be at his worst, this is a solid movie that I think you'll have a very fun time with at the box office. So let's move on to our second movie that we're going to talk about and this is one where you might not even pay anything to depending on if you have somebody else's netflix account password or not and that is luther the fallen son now the original series of luther luther is a bbc uh, drama it is about dci john luther played by idris elba it is about a guy who is a very 
good detective. He is able to get into the minds of both the victims and the criminals. He is very abrasive. His job has led to him losing even his wife. He has so many different layers. And one of the few things that everybody agrees about DCI John Luther is that he's very, very good at his job. Now, through most of the show, he has an antagonist. Her name is Alice. We really thought that Luther ended in 2019, back when it had its fifth and final season. However, Netflix picked it up and they decided to shoot not a new season of Luther. They decided to shoot a movie, a two and a half hour long movie that was just about one case. And that case primarily is about DCI John Luther having to track down a killer that uses blackmail. That isn't really a spoiler about the movie. They explain that in a lot of the trailers and everything like that. So the primary thing that I was interested in for Luther Fallen Son is how well would this show stand up to the series as a whole? How much were we going to bring in from that previous series, from all those years of Luther? How much of it were we going to bring into this new movie? And surprisingly, the answer is not a lot. There is not a lot of John's past that's really talked about in this movie. This movie essentially acts as kind of like a soft reboot for the character. They don't necessarily take away any of the things that happened. What they do, however, is they push all those to the back where if you walk into this movie without having seen a single episode of the TV show Luther and you just see, I see Idris Elba, I know he's a good actor, I want to watch him be a detective, you can come into this movie completely blind and you will have no problem following along with the story as a whole. This movie is built primarily for people who I would say have never seen Luther, where it introduces you to the character and it's a lot more of a smaller character story than it is a huge bombastic thriller. Another thing I think this movie does, and it does it very well, is it picked a great villain. And the person they picked is Andy Serkis. Now, if you know Andy Serkis, you probably know him from one of his animated roles. We're talking about the same guy who was a uh, Gollum slash Smeagol in the Lord of the Rings franchise. He's a very well-known character actor. He's also directed some stuff. And Andy Serkis is very, very good at doing his job. 
So when I say he plays a thrilling villain, I cannot stress enough how good he is in regards to the menace that he shows. Andy Serkis feels like one part smooth, one part slimy, one part devious, one part homicidal. And I also love how he's able to work with a really cold menace. In this movie, they really talk a lot about shame. And one of the big points throughout this entire movie is that for a, for certain people, shame is even worse than death. And how shame can push you to do things that you would never do. It may even force you to hurt other people in ways that you would never hurt other people. So I, I really loved that bit in the movie in regards to how Andy Serkis was playing a lot of these people. And for those of you who are wondering, hey, aren't you ruining the movie? You're showing who the killer is and you're telling us very early on, this movie makes no bones about who the killer actually is. They let you know very early on in the course of telling the story who the killer is, it might take your heroes a while to find it. But the audience knows very early in this storyline who is the culprit behind all of these actions. Also, what you find out in the movie is that early on, Idris Elba's character is sent to prison. And as you'll see in the trailers, he escapes prison and he's tracking the criminal while also being tracked by his colleague, uh, Martin Schneck, who is from the previous seasons of Luther, as well as a new DCI, uh, DCI Rain, played by the incredible Cynthia Erivo. And I, I appreciate that Cynthia Erivo got this part because Cynthia Erivo is a tremendous actress. And what can happen sometimes in Hollywood is you can be a good actor if you're not in a good movie, you can be pigeonholed for years. And I love that we got to see Cynthia Erivo be in this more stripped down role. Because to be honest, I, I hated the movie Harriet. In my mind, it was, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't good. It just wasn't good. And I think a lot of that blame was placed on Cynthia Erivo because she was the lead actress so I like this as a lot of a place setting in that Cynthia Revo, she's DCI Rain she's a no-nonsense cop she is smart she's able to put the dots together almost as fast as Luther that's how you have to have it with these kinds of shows you can't have a secondary lead who's faster than the main lead in terms of getting and connecting the dots they need to be quick but not too quick and Cynthia Revo, she has her moments where she shows off how much of a top cop she is so I appreciate that 
the big thing with this movie is I think this movie is an indication that we are going to get not only just more Luther in general in terms of Luther movies, I would be interested to see what Netflix could do with Luther. So the way the movie ends, it's not going to spoil anything for you, but it leaves the door open for more things to happen in the world of Luther. I, I appreciate that. I also think it's really interesting that, hey, even Idris Elba has said that he is going to keep playing Luther, essentially, until he can't play Luther anymore. When Luther came out in 2010, this was one of the shows that really helped to put him on the map just as much as The Wire. I mean, The Wire was to American audiences what Luther was to BBC audiences. And he's talked very openly about how he was in a bad place in his life, and he feels that the TV show Luther, him starring in it, him portraying this troubled but incredibly bright detective is what helped put his life on back on track so he's he's already confirmed as long as they'll have him as luther he will continue to play luther and as great as an actor as each yourself is he's had some hits he's had some misses this has been the one series where in my opinion he has consistently hit on a certain level and he has not necessarily missed. So I'd be more than happy to get semi-annual, not necessarily once a year, but maybe once every couple of years, movies with DCI uh, John Luther or just Luther and with more character actors as the foils and the villains and really diving into the seedy underbelly of the human psyche. That's the one thing this movie and the series as a whole does well is it dives into the psyche of the villain as well as the victim. And it shows the motivations as well as how Luther is able to figure out those motivations and play on a person's psychological makeup and ticks so i i really i really like it i think you should go see it and it's on netflix so if you are borrowing somebody's netflix account you can see it for absolutely free so i don't think there's any excuses not to turn on luther the fallen son unless you are a child which case don't see this it is violent and Probably the only bad thing I'll say is that this movie does some CGI elements that look absolutely terrible. That is a very small part of the movie, so I can excuse it. But they, they shouldn't have even done it. They should have just done something else in order to avoid it. But it's something that's very easy to forget once you get past it, because... This movie is not focused on CGI. This movie is focused on people 
acting and the human condition. And that's really why I appreciate Luther, The Fallen Son, and I can't recommend it enough. So, now is the time that I say goodbye to all you guys. Uh, I really appreciate you guys listening in, and if you want to hear more, you can reach out to us. You can hear previous episodes that are on Podbean or Spotify, and if you have any questions, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Two Sides of a Coin. That's T-W-O-S-I-D-E-Z of a coin, all one word, on on our Instagram, you can find us at two sides coin, all one word, and on our email, you can email us at two sides podcast. That's T W O S I D E Z podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you guys, and I hope you have a great rest of the week.